Earl. What's going on, Wes? Good. <laughs> How are you? Ah, doing pretty well. Welcome. Pretty well. Welcome. Day. All right. So we're here with Wesley Graham, uh, Cross Country Mortgage. They are our partners. We did a podcast, probably like one of like the third or fourth ones ever that we ever did was with you. Um, but now we're back because the market has shifted. Everyone is a keyboard warrior, knows exactly what's going on. <laughs> I don't know if the market's shifted so much for housing. Uh, yeah, it I, well, it's same it's, pace as last year, but, but and, and inventory shrinking. Yeah. So it's not. It's like I mean, if you're inside these four walls, it looks the same. If yeah. you're outside the four walls, everything's yeah. The economy's shifting. Yeah. You know, that's what there's. There's definitely um, you know a lot changing there. A lot of bud, buzzwords: inflation, yeah, stagflation, stagflation, recession. So um, let's dive into it. Let's kind of unbox what. Just generally hit us with like general inflation knowledge. Yeah. So inflation, there's kind of two ways you can really think of inflation and they kind of account to the same thing. You know, one is the dollar's worth less. So for any currency, you know, if it's inflating, then essentially it's it's buying power is decreasing. So on one hand, inflation means, hey, for every dollar you can afford fewer goods. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, you know, it's also the prices of goods are increasing. Right. And so sometimes you've got causes for different things um, in, in a broad sense, and you have both of those things are really conflating right now. And, um, you know, the Fed printed a lot of money for us to get out of COVID. Well, so let's kind of address Part. that. So that's kind of how it happens. So if you have $100 and it's all backed by, however you want to call it, it's backed, $100, each dollar's worth the a dollar. Full faith and tax paying or the, the right. taxing authority of the federal government. Right. So you have $100. Each dollar in that 100 is worth $1. Then we're just like, we need more dollars. Let's make more dollars. They're not all now worth a dollar still. That's kind of what we're leaning to is that as you print more money, the existing currency decreases in value because there's more of it. Yeah. And, you know, in a, in the past, you know, America was on a gold standard. Now we're not backed by right. a gold standard, right? So now all we're backed by is the ability for the federal government to pay its bills. And so, um, and, and ultimately the bonds. How are we doing on that? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, uh, we're the cleanest dirty shirt is how I would put that. Love um, that. But so, you know, inflation's a normal thing. Right. Inflation naturally is, is part of a growing economy. Yeah, and, and normally 2% inflation is, is actually the target for the Fed. And, you know, that's to accommodate you know, increasing liquidity to the economy, mm-hmm. allowing businesses to invest and hire more employees, all the good stuff, right? Right. And, you know, when you get high inflation, you get over that that target. That's what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. And and certainly, you know, we're, we're well above that target now. Um, and, but it's not just a matter of, you know, what the Fed does. You know, that's right. the monetary policy side. And, and so, you know, again, the Fed trying to help us through COVID, you know, did, did kind of quantitative easing. They expanded their balance sheet and... Um, you know, in, in doing so, they've they printed money, right. essentially, I mean, for lack of a better word. Uh, by one measure, M2 is a measure of the monetary supply. We've expanded our monetary supply 40% in the last basically 18 months. So in a vacuum, that means that your dollar is worth, right, the, the inverse less. Right. Right. So um, the other piece of inflation, though, that's also important to factor in, and, and this is a lot of what, what Jerome Powell had been saying last year, um, you know, was he right, wrong, hard to say, but you, know, you also have just goods cost more. Right, you know? just the general, right, exactly. Right, and and so the supply chain and, and a lot of the stuff that also happened as a result of COVID is, is another huge piece of that equation. You know, you've got what's going on in oil and gas, what's going on in, which which really spills over into everything, right? Right. To ship everything, everything's going to be more expensive. 
if uh, if diesel costs go up, right? Right. Um, but in turn, you know, lumber prices, everything else that you saw happening through COVID, you know, that was a that's a whole other part of what's going on. So you right. really have this big conflation of those two things butting heads right now. And, you know, the Fed last year kept saying, oh, well, you know, this is temporary, this is temporary, and it's because of the supply chain, and that's going to open up, and we're going to be fine. And, you know, what what we're now starting to realize in a somewhat abrupt fashion is maybe not. Right. You know, and... Well, and that's what everybody kind of spins out when they hear inflation. They also kind of think recession. So, I mean, everyone keeps talking about we're going into a recession, we're going into a recession, we're going into a recession. You kind of have a different stance on that, or I don't know if it's you or just generally, like people are just like, we're going into a recession. Well, um, you know, I think it's important to understand what a recession actually is. And, you know, at the end of the day, a recession is two quarters of economic contraction. Right. Right. As of today, they released today, last quarter, quarter one of 2022, was contracted 1.4%. And so what that means is, is year over year, that quarter actually did see a decrease in economic, overall economic production right. for the United States economy. Um, two quarters of that is, would so this quarter is the same, then technically speaking, we're in a recession. Now, sure as heck didn't feel like a recession in North Florida yeah, last right. year, right? Especially by the measure that people have anchored themselves to logically. You, know, you look at the Great Recession. Right, which is everybody, yeah, that's what everybody weighs it to because, yeah. You know, and, and, and there's a, a very, and we'll talk about this, you know, a bunch mm -hmm. of the topics yeah. we want to talk about today, it's, it's going to come up over and over again. You know, people like to anchor their logic, right or wrong, to recent events more so than looking at right. the overall factors. And so, you know, the uh, the Great Recession <laughs> was a um, you know anomalous you know, as far as recessions are concerned. Recessions right. are a normal piece of the United States economy. This is a, it's a cyclical environment. Right. It's a normal part of any economy. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean the catastrophe that 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 was. Right. Um, and I think that's what everybody just like you're saying they're anchoring in things that they're familiar with. Everybody kept you know I remember in 2006, seven and eight everybody kept talking about 1920s and all this stuff, but like really a lot of those people weren't even around then. Now, because it's such a short distance, I would say short distance, a lot of the people now then, I mean, I was in 2007, 2008, I was still in high school. So like, I remember it, but it didn't affect me the same way it would have affected somebody who is, who's my age now. Right. And I think now people are like spinning out of control. Like, oh, I remember everybody was just flipping out then. It's like, yeah, but if you aren't seeing anything outrageous happening in your life, like all of a sudden it's not just going to drop the bomb. You're not going to be worth anything. Right. But if you're living beyond your means or purchasing something you very clearly shouldn't be. Different story. Uh, right. Right. Any, in any economy, it's just Doesn't not really a good matter, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. foreclosures happen in any economy. Right. Do foreclosures happen at, you know, an unprecedented pace? Do, does the entire financial system implode simultaneously does all capital freeze throughout the economy at least temporarily right you know that's not the norm for recessions in american history which right which made the great recession you know great depression analog a pretty good one right right, right. And, and so at the time you know that that ultimately was kind of the closest comparison it wasn't necessarily akin to the recessions of, you know, the 80s, you know, the, the dot-com bubble, which, you know, the different economic cycles we had that ultimately did lead to, recessions lead to higher unemployment. They lead to, you know, uh, a wide variety of suffering. Right, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. But the Great Recession, you know, certainly was attached to some different dynamics. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a few of those 
little bit different today. Right. So let's walk our way back. Kind of, we talked about the dollar, inflation, all this stuff. How is this kind of aligning itself with crypto, NFTs, things like that, to where the digital space, where it's kind of like a, fi- and it, they go hand in hand, obviously, with, you know, that Bitcoin has a finite amount that there are. So let's mm-hmm. kind of talk about and bridge the gap because I feel like a lot of people have questions on like, well, is crypto the best buy, a safe buy? What is it compared to the dollar? How right. does that work? How does that look? What does that look like, et cetera? You know, I, I think that uh, crypto, and it's important too not to distinguish everything in the crypto space, mm-hmm. you know, to consider everything the same. You know, personally, you know, and everyone has their own opinions. You know, personally right. to me, I feel like Bitcoin is... Um, exists on something of a pedestal in my mind because mm-hmm. there is truly a finite number of bitcoins, right? And there are some cryptocurrencies for which that's not the case, you mm-hmm. know. And, and, and there could theoretically be, you know, you could run into the same problems you do with the dollar. Um, although, you know, it's, it's all within the blockchain; it's a little bit different. But so, you know, with Bitcoin, it's there's a finite number of bitcoins, mm-hmm. and obviously, the the more complex the chain gets, the longer the, bit, the the chain gets, the more you know complex and powerful the computing power needs to be. Right. Which to- which again to address that, we're talking about how like how the Fed just printed money because we needed more money in circulation. You can't just make more bitcoins. Right. Once right. all the bitcoins have been mined, they're done. That's it. Yeah. Just- and and I think that you know. In and of itself, that does establish a, a, a value. You know, you, you might perceive that that establishes a value um, in some any kind of currency, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when America used to be on the gold standard, we right. were backed by gold. We left that in the '70s, um, and and really that, you know, one could argue has allowed us to go into this more dramatic boom bust cycle. And, um, and and so, nonetheless, I just think that you know where where Bitcoin in particular occupies it. A, a space in people's minds is it is a finite thing right um you know it is outside of the whim of you know any federal bank for any you know for any country so it should exist outside of you know the political spectrum um you know conversely though how how it just how people decide to regulate it and what consequences are there provides a, a degree of risk right um you know. well and risk so it's funny that you mentioned risk because risk is basically what is the difference between 2006, seven and eight and now when it comes to issuing loans and betting and crypto, et cetera. It's like, if you're buying into crypto, the risk of buying crypto is it's either gonna completely fail or it won't, which you're kind of saying there's a safe bet in the, sec- in the fact that there's a finite amount. So realistically, like once it's done, it could only go up. We can't make more of it to dilute the amount there is like the dollar to where now the dollar value is falling. When it talks about risk of buying something like that, where does the risk lie in purchasing a currency that's not really backed by anything? Well, and you know, any current, so, so the U S dollar, right? It is backed by the taxing authority essentially of u.s government right mm-hmm. i mean so that's how the government pays its bills so the united states economy collapses and there's no re- tax revenue to right. pay those debts and you default then theoretically the the underlying uh, revenue structure that supports that currency disappears and poof it goes bust right i mean that's ultimately what you're what you're talking about right um or you get a germany 1930 situation where you know 20s and 30s um you know, you print money excessively, or Zimbabwe just recently, Venezuela now. You know, you print money excessively to try to solve a problem where it just 
completely becomes unhinged in relation to you know the the ability to ever repay right. the, those promises essentially is what right. a dollar is and so you get hyperinflation which is you know catastrophic I mean, right right yeah you've seen the pictures people with wheelbarrows of cash to go buy a loaf of bread I mean, right it's, you know it's, it's, it's that that happened um That's insane yeah and so that and i think that's that again is where i think crypto is attractive to a lot of investors in that you know they see those images and they go well that could never happen to this right and that's why um, i wanted to kind of like throw in the air is because that's what a lot of people think and hearing it from somebody with obviously an economics background who's more than qualified to actually discuss that because half the time right it's just people like myself just like kicking around like yeah i heard on twitter you, you hear right. this right so it, it, it doesn't People just try and put things together in their head that make sense, not necessarily that they're true. Well, and you know, my my concern though, and, and it kind of goes along these lines about crypto is, you know, it still isn't backed by. That's my point. Is that we're, so you're saying that the U.S. dollar is backed by the, the taxable kind it's of a promise? Yeah, it's a that's promise. what I'm saying. It's not yeah, really yeah, backed right. by anything, and I think that's what people are worried about is that it's just farcical no one can control it which means it's just like as soon as everybody just dubs like i don't want this it's going to lose its value right but i think what people don't understand which is kind of what you're saying is the fact that as long as people are accepting it to do things and it has value it will keep value right and it, it's not really manipulated by any sort of geopolitical like oh well you know they printed so much money now, like the Bitcoin is worth right. nothing, right? It's just, it's not. Well, but, but the, the other side of that, that argument, though, the double edge of that sword is that at the end of the day, Bitcoin's value is ultimately denominated in global currency. Right. And so, you know, Bitcoin being a hedge against global currency implosion, well, if every currency implodes, you know, if we have a crazy ca right. ca catastrophe economically, globally, you know, without some underlying value to bitcoin itself right right i mean uh, infinity times zero is zero yeah you know yeah so i, I think that is true that is true math, math guys <laughs> math guys that um, is true but so to me it's like if I, I think as a temporary inflation hedge right you know barring the utterly catastrophic i do think you know there's there's an interesting space that it occupies mm -hmm. um but as a hedge of against total catastrophe it's like well you're kind of in the same boat as everybody else at that point like right you know um and i think it's interesting too and kind of getting to the risk question yeah you know is bitcoin intrinsically valuable or is it a risk asset you know that people are speculatively investing in right you know when interest rates are high you generally get what we call risk off in mm -hmm. the investment world which is you know if you can get good yields on what's considered to be a traditionally conservative investment like bonds, you can right. get good yields on, you know, if you were to buy, you know, commodities companies, right? right? Steel companies, oil companies, utility companies, you know, when you reach these kind of recessionary cycles where the economy's suffering, generally the investments that are considered to be more conservative outperform, right? Because people have to eat. They need right. a house, which we'll get to. They need Electricity and you know, all those kind of basic essential needs, sure. they outperform. You know, they're counter cyclical. Um, whereas speculative assets, tech assets, um, you know, I would argue Bitcoin, I would argue, you know, certainly NFTs, the Rolex market right now. Yeah. The, so the, the luxury, guys, I was going to say the, the luxury watch market right now is fully bananas. I actually said this to it's stainless uh, steel. Yeah. It's steel. The well, tech is, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I said whatever. this to my family as like a joke. I was like, guys, the luxury, because we, 
we like cashed out of something and I was like, we should all buy Rolexes or something. And, and everyone's like, that's the dumbest thing ever. I'm like, if well. you, I go, if you purchased that same watch two years ago and then you have it now, I'm like, it's almost up. Like, but if you purchased it two years ago, the techs are starting to, they're starting to fall. Yeah. And Rolex hasn't yet, but you know, so what, what you get and when you have incredibly low interest rates for an extremely long period of time, and then you get dramatically excessive monetary support, which right. is what the Fed ultimately did to get us, you know, out of COVID. I would argue that, you know, what they initially did is the economy was in free fall, probably made sense. What they did when the economy was recovering and they continued to stimulate the economy. Right. And they still continue to stimulate the economy in different ways as we speak, despite the fact that we have eight point four percent inflation last month. Right. Not great. Not great. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> that that was probably excessive. And so when right. you get that environment where there's excess liquidity, excess cash flushed into the system, right. you're going to get this speculative investment cycle where people do dump money into things. When rates start to climb, and this is ultimately why the Fed raises rates, right. when, when you get that overheat in the economy, the Fed finds itself in a position of, okay, this is unsustainable. We need to stop spending. We don't want to look like Germany, right. you know, in the Weimar Republic. And so, yeah, you know, they, they get the reins on it and they start to lower, you know, raise interest rates in order to cool things off. And so the first assets you see that tend to underperform are those speculative assets. And so an interesting thing in Bitcoin, and, and it's been a bit all over the map lately, I mean, it's been volatile like everything else. Right. But you, knew, you initially saw a big risk off. So we call it risk off, right? I mean, so as rates rise... You know, people get a little more worried about the economy. It's it's those kind of speculative investments that initially start to lose value. And right. Bitcoin fell in with that. Yeah, yeah it definitely. Since then it's, yeah. But the fact that as inflation's continued and as rates has as rates have continued to rise, the fact that it seems to have stabilized while you see, you know, Nasdaq was down. Right. It's kind of like, right. You ago. think it's it, the, the bottom line has kind of adjusted to like where I don't know. You yeah, know, I don't know, but it, but it's an interesting question. You know, if you're if you're arguing that it's an inflation hedge, and when rates go up, it loses value. Mm -hmm. It kind of is. Well, what is it really? Right. right. And 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 again, I don't know. Right. I, mean, I think it's still something that you know. Well, let's pit it against something. So obviously, it's we'll call it risk. All right. It's sure. You're purchasing anything. People then look at current housing and they say it's a risk because they see, again, they see just this crazy inflated price, home prices, all this thing, the competition. This is, and housing has always been the most sure investment. Almost always. Almost, almost always. Right. But, and I think people are getting this all like mixed together and don't really know how to kind of compartmentalize it. So well, like, let's break down like why this housing crisis is not related to the prior. Well, and I wouldn't say it's, it's entirely not related, but you know, I, I think the, the way to think of risk is, is uh, again, I think a, a sensible place to, to frame it. Um, you know, housing in general is considered to be an inflation hedge. Okay. And, and, and the reason for that is same reason why oil stocks do well in an inflation environment. Same right. reason why, you know, people, and to buy less risky assets when, when the sky seems right. like it's falling. Um, <laughs> but people need gas, people need homes, people need things. You right. have to have a place to sleep, right? right. And you know, the, the big thing about housing in this environment that we're in now, you know, it's become an incredibly finite resource. And so I think right. kind of back to the Bitcoin thing, and, and, and again, where, you know, to me, the jury's out on what exactly Bitcoin winds up 
representing right. um, insofar as a secure, stable investment. Sure. But the, the thing about housing is in normal times, you can't snap your fingers and suddenly, you know, you can't build more land, right? I mean, that's the old saying, right? right. You can't make more land outside of Dubai, and that didn't really pan out. Right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, the again, people tend to anchor to most recent events and don't really think about, you know, all the ingredients and things that go into mm-hmm. historical happenings, right? So, you know, 07 and 08, and obviously the lead up to 07 08, again, a bit anomalous in, in American mm-hmm. history, in that you, know, you had a tremendous amount of excessive building activity leading up to that crash. And it's funny because you're seeing it. I mean, not funny. It's actually tragic, but right. um, you know, it's the old Greek funny tragic the irony of the yeah. same word, right? Yeah. Um, but so, you know, China right now is dealing with a, I mean, completely underreported in a large way, but they're having a massive, massive property detonation. You know, they, they've had a huge speculative, you know, the average Chinese citizen can't really invest in their stock market. Right. And so a lot of people have been investing in very speculative real estate. No one lives in these homes. They're not homes, they're apartment buildings. No one lives in them. And you have three generations of families piling their money into this real estate sector. Right. To, to you know, save up, to buy this investment, you know, and that's the only thing they can really invest in, in, in to a large extent. Um, and well, the whole thing's kind of a big Ponzi scheme, right? And it's it's imploded. I mean, they've defaulted on their debts. It's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's interesting. I suggest looking up Evergrande. It's an interesting thing. Um, luckily, Chinese financial markets are relatively isolated from right. the global, you know, financial markets. So. What what is that that people can look up? Uh, Evergrande. 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 Um, but so it's 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 interesting because that's happening in China as we speak, and that's a lot like what happened. <laughs> Here uh, in 07 and 08, you know, you had a, a ton of speculative. I mean, we've all seen The Big Short. If you haven't seen it, right. great movie. Big really Short, well yeah, starring Steve Carell, uh, Ryan Gosling. Um, what's his face? Is Brad it Pitt's in it. Brad Pitt's um, in it. Christian, Christian Bale's, Bale. Christian yeah. Bale's in it. Yeah. Star-studded. Great cast. Yeah, great cast. Great cast. Um, but, yeah, it's a very kind of cool story um, and insight into how basically they figured out that it was going to crash, and it's like literally a peanut you know uh, of people knew this happening and it kind of correlates to what we were we can get into next which is how the housing thing kind of failed and issuing nuances as to why things are different right yeah but this is a great kind of peek in and uh they do a cool thing and then we can be done talking about it but they do a cool thing because of how kind of complicated the Mm -hmm. topic is they do these cutaways and break them down. So one of them is Margot Robbie in a bathtub. It's a great cutaway. Um, yeah, great cutaway. Yeah. Uh, explaining credit default swaps. Is that what she's explaining? Uh, if I recall. Yeah, yeah I it's, it's credit, credit default swaps, cr- credit default yeah. swaps um, which... I, you just want to like also just layman's terms a credit default yeah. swap. Well, and and I think before you get into credit default swaps, and I think really more apropos to what we're dealing with now is especially with interest rates is you know what how mortgages work. I mean, really how the what funds the right. mortgage industry right. So you know the person that writes your loan outside of you know jumbo loans, portfolio products, things are a little bit you know a little bit more nuanced. But for ninety percent of loans that are done in America, right. You know, that loan winds up in a bond, you know, a mortgage-backed security that gets sold to the, what we call the secondary market, mm-hmm. the bond market. And in turn, that gets bundled into other bond products, and it, it, you know, it, it's in the ether, right? right. It's, and, it's, and ultimately, it's bought by pension funds. It's, in the case of the last 18 months, probably not a wise choice. It was bought by the Federal Reserve, stepped in um, to buy you know, trillions of dollars of them. Right. Um, 
and which suppressed interest rates over the last year while inflation was climbing, which may not have been a... But also, risk. let's not forget the reason why pension funds, all these people are purchasing these things is because it is deemed the least riskiest, one of the least riskiest things you could really set money into. With one exception, right? Um, because ultimately, the, the, you know, the general thought is, and it's funny because you've got you know, U.S. Treasuries, right? That's the most conservative bond, even though we don't pay our bills, right? And the American right. government, you know, our debt picture is terrifying. <laughs> At the end of the day, like I said, we're the cleanest, dirty shirt. You know, yeah, right. Our, yeah. Our, we're, we're better than anyone else. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, but then mortgage-backed securities are considered to be a very close second, right? Because right. people pay their mortgages. And right. historically speaking, that's always been the case. And you'll hear this in the big short when you're watching it is that's literally what they just keep going back to. It's like, people, no one just doesn't pay their mortgage. Right. 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 And, and so, you know, what happened in us? Well, so, so anyway, so, you know, what a mortgage-backed security is, is it's just a whole bunch of mortgages all bundled up. Right. And so, you know, what a credit default swap was, and now we're, we're getting... We're just, I just want to, yeah, just yeah, clarifying. A little, a little yeah. esoteric, but so essentially what a credit default swap is, it's an insurance policy against the default on a bond. So, you know, a bond, it's a, okay, it's a 30-year bond. So over 30 years, it has a coupon rate of 5%. You buy it for a thousand bucks, you know, par. Right. And you're going to get 50 bucks a year for 30 years. That's, right. That's a bond. That's literally right? how it works. That's how it works. And so if that bond defaults, or if it looks like the bond's going to default, and there's, there's default risk, then that bond loses value. Okay, so maybe that $1,000 bond is now 500 bucks. And, you know, what a credit default swap does is essentially... You know, once that bond defaults, you get paid out a premium or you get, you get paid out like an insurance claim. Right? right. Your house catches on fire. So essentially what a de credit default swap did and how those guys, Michael Berry and a bunch of those guys mm -hmm. made, made a lot of money, is that they ultimately were, and they say this in the movie, they were buying insurance policies without owning a burning house. They got paid when a burning house burned down. Right. It's already on fire. They just bought the insurance. Everyone thought they were idiots. Those credit default swaps. AIG was, you know, notoriously issued a tremendous number of them. Yeah. Um, they had completely underestimated the risk of the underlying securities that were being insured. Right. And that's how they, you know, they, they did really well. Um, you know, but but I think that, and again, watching that movie, I think would be great for context. The book is even better, of course. Right. And that's, you know, how that always goes. But, um, you know, I think it's a really good place to kind of talk about where we are now and, and a lot of the frustrations i think for for people in our industry certainly people in real estate right. are running into right now is is this kind of anchoring to hey this is what happens every time right. we run into this and right? i think people when they're scared they instead of taking action are just like i'll just do nothing because i'm sure that if i don't do anything there's no risk at all and i think that's what we were talking about when we were talking about time horizons things like that it's like oh, really yeah. aligning right. yourself you know to like what's best for you and it very well could be not just sitting with your hands in your lap doing nothing, right? It's like reading something, listening to something in order to educate yourself on, hey, what can I be doing so we're that not I... very rational Brett. as a species. <laughs> like, we're yeah. not great at... We're not always great at that. Um, but so, you know, again, going back to 07, 08, 05, 06, right? The lead up to 07, 08, right. you had a Fed that was pretty accommodative, yeah. right? You also had a, a the complete divorce of common sense in the mortgage industry. I was in college getting an economics degree when all this happened, so don't blame me. I had nothing, I had nothing to do with it. Okay, it's not my fault. <laughs> not my fault. Um, you know, but you had a, a total lack of fiscal responsibility, a lack of a fiduciary breach of their shareholders. I mean, just just a 
a lot of really awful behavior right. in, in the mortgage industry and, and in banking in general. And there's there's a lot of sides to it that we don't need to get into. But you know, ultimately, you know, banks were not incorrect in the perception that they could literally write whatever loan they felt like they wanted to right. and offload all of the risk right. to ultimately the taxpayer, which is what happened. Right. And and in turn just just make obscene profits. You know, it's sooner or later, I think some of them, you know, one of the, the things from that book is like either they were crooks or they were fools and I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. But sooner or later someone was gonna get left holding the bag, um, you know, losing the, the what's that game? You run around in a circle? Monopoly? No, no, no. There's a circle and there's chairs. Musical chairs. That's the one. Musical chairs. You've got it. The someone's ever, gonna left the ever loving game of musical someone's, chairs. Someone's gonna lose a musical chairs game. Yeah, right. Um, but so, so anyway, you know, that's you had you had ninja loans, liar loans, right? You know, yeah, just, a, just a completely garbage garbage loans that were made out there. People did not afford them. Uh, could not afford these houses they were buying. Right. And so ninja for context was no income, no job uh, application, no job something. Hold was, on, I can't remember what the A. Yeah. No. No income. Again, I wasn't doing them. Um, but literally, that's what they were calling them ninjas because, again, right. people pay their mortgage. They pay for the roof over their head. But with a ninja, you're buying a home that you couldn't even afford in the first place. And then after a certain time, you're – I don't know if it, I'm mixing the two between an adjustable rate mortgage. At a certain point, the rate would adjust and then you – really couldn't afford yeah, your so, home and you owed more on your house than it was ever really worth. So those are actually particularly interesting. Um, and, and, you know, we'll move on from this. We can get, we can get in these forever, but uh, there were these mortgages, uh, there was pick a pay was one of them and, and good essentially. Yeah. Pick a pay. And uh, you had options. Okay. You could either pay interest only. Uh, you could pay an amortizing payment. Okay. That would, that covered, you know, your 30 year mortgage. And you could have negatively amortized payments. So in other words, and you can only do this for like the first three years, for five right. years, something like that. Uh, but in other words, essentially you paid less than the interest that was due on the mortgage. And all of the interest that you weren't paying mm -hmm. was added to the principal. So your mortgage was literally increasing in principal every single month. And so after right. X number of years, and it's three or five, right. I don't really recall, but after X number of years, boom. Hey, guess what? Now you have a new mortgage payment, and it's right. the thirty-year amortized payment. The rate's astronomical, relatively right. speaking. And uh, guess here you go. And, and guess what? Remember how you couldn't afford it the first time? Now you still can't afford and so, it. So you know, two thousand seven, eight. That's when all these loans hit that maturity date, essentially, and uh, boom, right? And so at the time, there was such perception that hey, we're going to be able to buy this house mm -hmm. we're going to make more money in five years right. or we're going to be able to flip the house and that's really what was going on is you had a lot of people going i'm going to be able to flip this house and mm -hmm. i'm going to sell it so quickly that it's better for me to pay less because at the end of the day i'm not going to live in this house right um and you know some people were doing that and we're doing right. it successfully but the whole thing ended up facilitating builders going just completely bananas right. over building, right? And so you had this tremendous inventory influx. Right. With no one living no in these homes. Yeah, right. No one living in these homes. So, um, so now, you know, fast forward 15 years later, uh, what's happened, right? right? The pendulum from, from lending guidelines and, you know, corporate governance and all these other things, not that corporate governance is entirely 
clean. Right. Um, but you know, lending guidelines are brutal. Man. Yeah. And I can tell you, anybody that's that's gotten a mortgage since 2009 will tell you, you know, it's it's pulling teeth sometimes. Yeah. You know, especially especially if your income is not very vanilla. You know, it's, which it's, which is like a W two, yeah, like I mean, right salaried employee. But even you know. if you're W two, right? I mean, if you're W two and you're part time or you work odd right, on yeah. off hours, and you know, if if it's not forty hours a week, straightforward, it's right. it's tough. And yeah. and for years, you know, right? You know, it's very 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 hard to get a mortgage, relatively speaking, now than it was before. I mean, I think down payment requirements now are are a lot more lax than when mortgages were the hardest in history. Back, right. You know, you should need. 50% down back in the way right. back when, you know? Right. Um, but ultimately, at least from an income standpoint, these people have jobs to afford these homes. Right. Know, and barring mortgage fraud, which... But the know. cause of the price increase and this bonanza and that's getting everybody worried is it's not propped up on that it's a bubble. It's just that there's no inventory. So you bought your house, you love your house, you're not willing to sell your house. Right. You're willing to sell your house for like a pretty high price. And that's what's happening. It's like when you do go to sell your house, there's like 50 people willing to buy it. And they're like, it just becomes a bidding war. And yeah. I think people don't, which is crazy to me. I'm like, people don't understand that. I'm like, well, when you bought your house, because right, you might have bought it at a certain time. Yeah, it was probably the only offer, and it was like take this or whatever. You didn't have a pot to piss in, essentially. Right now, no one, ha everyone's looking to move and relocate and whatever the situation is, but there's nowhere to go. Especially here in Florida, you really have really compounding issues here in Florida, all right. hitting us all at once. And you know, so well, why is there no inventory? Right. Okay. So pendulum swung completely the other way in 2009. Right. The banks, if you were a builder. And you weren't a large, publicly traded, build with it, a right, tremendous right. amount of capital. You were fully self-funded. You could issue bonds out to the market. Right? I mean, unless you were one of those builders, if you walked in to a bank and said, hey, I need you know, $4.5 million to buy right. 20 acres and you know, put in some, do some site work and yeah. all this other stuff, right? They're gonna they would have laughed you out the door. <laughs> yeah. And that's really the case up until very recently. I mean, right. still mostly the case, unless right. you're a very, very strong builder with a tremendous track record, very portfolio, yeah, yeah, right. solid balance sheet, right? You know, capital in the building industry, it's just been undercapitalized for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we haven't been building homes. Right. Population's grown. I think they said that too. We're, we're about short like 4 million homes or something oh, yeah. in America. And, you know, you've got the children of the baby boomers, mm -hmm. you know, that's the second half of the millennial generation are entering the prime housing form, you know, home formation sure. years, right? Household formation years. And so you've got yeah, the number with Tom Ferry said was 10 million people over the next handful of years that are going to be entering the home market. Right. And we haven't built 10 million homes. No. And I exist. think to even jump back to and reference Tom Ferry, he even said that. Normally, I think we carry about like anywhere from seven, eight hundred, maybe nine hundred listings from prior months in a normal traditional real estate market. I think from March into April was eighty-three homes or something like ludicrous. Well, and I think it, you know, the the other data point that stuck with me was it like one point two million on average. So with new listings and carryover from previous, months, right, right. Like one point two million is the average number of homes that are generally for sale in America. Right. And that right now in America, there's like three hundred fifty thousand. Right. I mean, so there's just there's just no inventory. Right. Um, that's essentially what you're saying is short a million homes. Right. A lot of homes. And and that's right. Recurring, right? right. That's yeah. every single month. And so add to that work from home, you know, Florida, 
has its virtues, clearly from a lifestyle standpoint, a taxation standpoint, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been a huge recipient of immigrants right. from other parts of the country. It's a, it's a mass net. I was saying, immigrants, to clarify, immigrants from within the country, like immigrants being like yeah. people from New York, New Jersey, California, people moving here. They're the, just, the definition applies either way. Yeah. Right. But uh, I just didn't want it to be convoluted that we were talking, like, that's just, yeah. We have plenty of those too. It's well, that, as well, but right. I think what... Back to what the essence you're saying is that we have a lot of people moving here. A tremendous here. influx of population growth. Yeah, right. here in an area that so far is definitely not built for that right, right now. I mean, that's literally all people talk about. And Florida housing in particular was hit exceptionally hard in 07, 08. Because, I mean, think about North Florida. Think about Palm Coast. Right. Right. There's not a job market. There's no industry. Right. What's in that? Right. It's There's re- no industry. In retirement, have, vacation. Yeah. You know, if you have the medical sector to support the local population, you have finance industry folks. I mean, that's what I was doing in St. Augustine. That's right. how I landed there. Right. You know, you did not have industry. Jacksonville has industry for mm-hmm. sure. And it certainly is a big military town. Um, you know, but there was not a job market to support all of the homes that were built in Palm Coast. They were highly speculatively built. And right. so Palm Coast in particular took a bath in 07 and 08. And so, so many builders went out of business, left the industry altogether. Mm-hmm. You lost all these th- these talented, lifetime of experienced tradesmen, drywall, framers, electricians, plumbers, et cetera. They didn't come back. They don't just right show up. Again, just, yeah, you, you can't know? just snap your fingers and be like, hey, be an experienced tradesman. Yeah. And so, you know, we're operating really off of, I mean, it, with the exception of, of kind of, you know, I think Nocatee, Palencia. I mean, some, but even, even Palencia is a little bit old, kind of pre that. But yeah. like Nocatee's newer. I mean, obviously there's some stuff, you know, that, that, that's going to be newer kind of west, uh, west of, of, um, of US-1 and 95. But, you know, for the most part, we're operating with the inventory we've had right for a generation. Yeah. Right, to some, almost, right? Almost. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. So, you know, that's really, again, all just compounding into a situation where, you know, despite rates going up, which we can talk about in a minute, you mm-hmm. know, despite inflation, despite fears of a recession and some of these things that are kind of encounter, you know, we're encountering, again, it didn't feel like a recession last quarter, no. despite the fact that it was, you know, technically one, right. ha- one half of, of, of a recession. Um, you know, the housing market here, it's just supply and demand. It's the first thing you learn in economics. It's right. It's a very powerful thing. Right. When there are no houses, the cost per house will go up across the board. Now, if you add forty percent to the monetary supply, that, that's yeah. certainly going to facilitate the right the the, the, the which expansion. Ag- of which again, let's just jump into that super quick. So that's already going to make the cost go up just right right off the bat. Yeah. Now we're adding to the fact that right, we are literally se- we've sold off the homes that were available to move in. Now they don't exist. I mean, we have agents. We don't have agents, but there are agents. And I said this on a different podcast. Straight up door knocking on homes and communities asking if people are just interested in selling if they've even had an inkling or thought about it just because right. there's they have people who want to buy homes but they're the homes they don't exist and the and the common refrain you hear i mean my house i mean it's worth a tremendous amount more than i paid for it right what am i gonna do you know how, okay you, right you sell you know? it you cash in on it where are you going right, to I mean, go <laughs> okay um which kind of brings us to i mean again it's it's a so it's a really challenging supply and demand environment. You know, there's, there's a lot of concerns about, and, and a very common objection I, I hear, and this is really kind of where, why I wanted to kind of have this discussion yeah. today. We, we've obviously bounced around a lot of different right. topics, but you know, where we really find ourselves now in this market is I've got a lot of buyers, particularly local buyers, mm-hmm. who, you know, they're feeling the hurt of the rental market. 
you know, and, and the dynamics in the rental market, look, if you own a home and it's worth twice what you paid for it and you see all the other landlords are charging X amount of dollars, what, you're either going to sell your house, in which case whoever bought it paid twice as much. Right. Or you're just going to increase the rents because you can. Which, yeah, just, and again, so if they bought it, paid twice as much, then it's going to cost more to still live there because no way someone's going to buy it for twice its worth and be like, oh, your rent was this? Right. That's, that's fine. I'll cover the other half of the rent. And if interest rates are going up and they're <laughs> right. financing that purchase, well, that's even further going to exacspirate it, right? Because right. now their return on investment, which has to factor in the capital cost of that house, mm-hmm. that return on investment necessitates higher rents. Right. So we've got this perfect storm where there's, you know, for every home that goes on the rental market, there are a thousand applications sure. to move into it because there's a thousand new people here every day. Right. And so, and that literally is the number for, for Florida. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like 1,000 1, people, 1, people, people. That's, are moving to Florida. That's wild. And but, and, but it goes back to because people, and let's quickly try and jump into it because, you know, we've bounced around. I want to get kind of streamlined is we have people moving here who can move here because they now work from home. That's, right. that's just what it right. is. They can work from home. It is what it is. So why when people move here and they're making two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, but their job is to work from home because of whatever their job is, right. doesn't require an onsite thing, they can afford to either outbid you on rent and pay a higher rent or just afford a higher rent place or outbid you on the home that you thought you were gonna buy. Right. So we're kind of seeing this weird It's a huge demographic demographic shift right. in the population. You know, yeah. when I moved to St. Augustine, it was a quiet sleep a little tourist town. Mm-hmm. I paid I don't want to say what I pay for my house. Yeah, time, yeah. You know, um, you know, it was a different economy, mm-hmm. and now you know these people that that are moving here that are doing what it takes to win offers right now. Right. You know, unfortunately, or or fortunately for them, it's all all relative. Um, you know, their definition of affordability is completely different from the right. definition of people that live here, and so you know the eventually wages here will have to catch up right. because they're, they're, it, it always has to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if people cannot afford to live here that do the jobs that are necessary right. for everyone else to live here, right. well, then clearly sooner or later, that's going to reach some degree of equilibrium. The problem just is, is what happens to those people in the meantime? You know, and, and so one of the, the common, common issues, and again, this is, this is kind of where, where I really wanted to have this discussion, you know, all the time we're hearing, oh, well, you know, we're going to go into a recession and prices are going to go down. Oh, well, rates are going up, so prices are going to go down. Oh, well, you know, my rent is $1,200 a month. I can't afford $1,300 a month for a mortgage, but I also can only live in these parts of town. Right. right. Or, oh, I've got a growing family and I need a bigger house. But right. this house isn't like Instagram pretty. It's not perfect. Right. You know, it's like, well, you make X num- number yeah. of dollars a this year. This is the house you can afford. You know, um, <laughs> you know that's the, 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 for all of those people, you know, things are not going to get easier. Here. Right. They're not going to get easier. You, no one can snap their fingers and build the hundreds of thousands of houses that we need, that we yeah. need throughout this, this total market. Right. right. It's not going to happen quickly. And so as rates continue to climb, affordability only gets worse. Right. We still have an influx of people that are coming from other places for whom their definition of an affordable house is just a whole lot more than the perception has been here for long. Right. And so, you know, to me, it's a, it's going to be continue to be a very challenging dynamic where rents are going up, home prices are going up, 
rates are also going up because inflation does not is not going to be something I, th- I think we find ourselves out of very quickly. Um, you know, and, and sooner or later rates will go down again. Right. You know, and, 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 and I think the important thing, too, is is everything we've already just dis- basically discussed is kind of handling that in the sense of inflation happening is not going to drive the cost of the home down. Right. We've literally just said when inflation happens, the cost of everything goes up across the board. Every board always has every board that's in your house, every window that's in your house across right? the board. The, the, yeah. do- the value of your dollar pays for fewer everything. Right. Right. And so, and, and which is why, I mean, old school economic, right. Homes, real estate is cons- excluding one time in U.S. history. Right. You know, real estate is an inflation hedge, which why are all the hedge funds buying all the real estate in North Florida? I think it's that, in the name. Yeah. Hedge funds. Yeah. I think right? that's pretty important to also clarify because I mean, it's very true. Like if Wall Street and these funds are buying homes, that's probably because it's the safest, smartest bet because they're using other people's dollars to make more money. So maybe they don't want to have their money sitting in cash where it's losing value. Right. Maybe but they, don't but they are putting to... it in an asset that's appreciating in value. Well, I would even say, and, and this kind of gets to our time horizons and this yeah. is kind of where I think we finish things up. But, you know, when it comes to what the hedge funds are doing, right? I mean, so they're, they're not going to leave money in the bank. It's mm-hmm. losing value. Right. Every day. They're not, you know, if they're worried about a recession, well, they don't necessarily want to put money in the stock market because mm-hmm. you're going to have volatility there for sure. You know, if you have economic contraction, a lot of those equities are going to lose value. And so what can they do that's going to generate positive cash flows with an asset that will over, over time right. appreciate in value, but in the near term generate returns that are attractive to their investors? Bingo. Bingo. Right. And so to me, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, I think a lot of those guys all have right. Harvard MBAs, which outpace my you know, UF <laughs> MBA a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's some smart guys trying to make a lot of money with other smart people's money. And that 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 seems to be what they're doing. So, right. you know, which kind of brings us to time horizons. Yeah, and, I was going to I, yeah. I love this because it really it's what we try and tell people. And it's not a question somebody else can answer for you. It's very much an internal right. question you need to ask yourself. Not, and it can't be an answer of. I might. It's like it is or it isn't. You ha- you have to. It's it's a you only question. Right. And you know. So you're a buyer in this market. You're a buyer in this market, or you think you're a buyer in this market. Should I buy a home? Is now the right time? Time horizon. Hundred percent. You know. Are you? So hedge fund infinite time horizon. Right. Right. It doesn't have a lifespan. It's never going to move. Yeah. Infinite time horizon. So. What I can tell you on real estate values as we go through this economic cycle that we're you know, inevitably going to, going to be going through soon. Um, you know, the extent to which things get painful right. is left to be seen, but you know, will your house be worth more money next year? I don't know. No clue. No idea. Will your house right. be worth more money two years from now? Have a harder time knowing, right? Three years, four years, five years, probably 10 years, most definitely. Right. 20 years, hundred percent. Right. And look at if you bought a house in 2005, top of the market, 2009, uh, right. 2012, chances are I was probably getting outside of some certain areas. Chances are you probably regained your way back, a yeah. lot of your value, right? You know, but now, now yeah. you've, you've doubled your money. Yeah, right. Which is, but and that's the the point that we're 
again in the time horizon that if it wasn't clear before time horizon being like what is your one year two year three year plan what is your 20 right right so again let's just like quickly break it down if you are young you just moved to jacksonville you just moved to whatever city you're in and you are setting roots you got this great job whatever it is i don't it doesn't matter what it is buy a house then you start a family you're it's three bedrooms get married you start a family you grow into that house that's great now you're about what five six years in if you have no need to leave or upgrade right it, you're just going to it's going to continue to carry and just that percentage so i don't know if the overall value of the home would increase but you'll wind up fulfilling the entire value of of what you invested in i think here's the other thing you know you also weren't paying someone else's mortgage well, yeah, I mean, that that's, time, that, right? so that's just rent across the board. Right? If you've ever heard this before, if you're paying rent, you're literally paying the mortgage on the property in. There's no way your landlord is right. taking a dive right. and is like, I'm going to cover costs so that Bill and his buddies can hang out in this house. It's you are literally paying the mortgage. So right. for your excuse to say that you can't afford a mortgage, there's you know, kind of kind of a if jam. you can't afford a mortgage, you know, a, you haven't saved up for it. You haven't prepared for right. it. You know, whatever the case may be. I mean, okay, that, that is what it is. That's great. But, you know, and, and it comes to the interest rate discussion, right? Oh, right. rates are too high. Rates are too high. I'm going to wait for rates to go down. If you're renting and you're going to be in Jacksonville for any extended period of time and you can afford a house, you're paying 100% rent. Or I'm sorry, 100% in, interest right. on, on, on a rent. Right. Uh, you know, on a rental agreement. Right? 100% interest. You're paying someone else's mortgage. You're building someone else's equity in that house. You're paying 100% interest. Right? Yeah. You get nothing. You get, you get nothing. nothing back, you little, right? uh, to stay. You could stay there. And, and where <laughs> rates are now, I mean, look, my first mortgage when I bought my house originally was five and a quarter. And I was stoked. It was such a low rate. Unbelievable. My parents' first mortgage when they bought the house I grew up in that my brother now bought from them. Keeping the family kind of deal. Yeah. 17%. Stoked because they bought a house that they right. fell in love with. It was $150,000 in 1987, I think they bought that house. I mean, the thing's got a one and six zeros behind it now. Right. Six digits of some, you know, right. some denomination. And so nonetheless, you know, it's about time horizons. Right. You know, can you afford it? Can you afford a house? Right. Can you, you know, do you want to live here? Right. In a general sense. Right. Does it need to be a perfect Instagram house? No. You know, my right. house, when I first moved in, I had, there were ticks in the carpets. Good. Good, good, good stuff. Good. I ripped the carpets out, and we had concrete floors in all the bedrooms for ten years, uh, eight years, before we did a huge renovation. It's like you know what? We're, we know we're going to spend money into this. Right. I'm not going to spend half measure money. Uh, right. right? And, oh, and spend money, and then in five years spend money, and then five years spend right. money. I mean, yeah. I'm going to make this house what I want because Perfect. I bought for location. I wanted to live where I lived. Right. I could afford my house. I could afford my mortgage payment. Yeah. All that good stuff. Yeah. Right? Let's look. Let's look right into that camera and uh, say your exact address so everybody can show yeah. up your house. My exact address. <laughs> uh, what's a Pennsylvania Avenue? Yeah. Um, but so you know, to me, it's there. There's this real big kind of lack of perspective right now where people mm -hmm. are making some really irrational decisions, and you know, I just it's not going to get easier. You know, and and so if your concern is. Hey, I'm not, I don't know how long I'm going to be in Jacksonville. Right. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm Navy. I've got a very short-lived right. stint here. I know it's going to be a couple of years. Yeah, maybe it does make sense to have a conversation about, you know, should I rent if we fall in, into a recession and maybe right. the house, you know, maybe I'm, I find myself underwater. Now, granted, you could move and keep that house and rent it out. Right. 
you know, so that, time horizon doesn't need to be short. VA right. is very accommodating on that. Right. But again, that's something that it's going to go for affordability, comfortability. Yeah. Affordability, comfortability. And again, the time horizon, like if you, if your job, and I, I'm going to use the word vol, volatility, but if your job has a volatility of location, right, purchasing might not be in the cards for you. That's fine. But just know that you'll always be paying. So whether it is the fact of at some point you decide, hey, this is the cheapest real estate I'm going to find now in order for me to just get in the game, which is what everybody keeps talking about, even the crypto NFTs. It's like, what's the bottom line entry level of getting in? You've got to start somewhere. Right. Right. And I think just generally exploring your financing options, talking to a mortgage lender. I mean, a lot of people just comfortably try and go to a bank. But I think our other podcasts kind of address that as to why it's better to go with a mortgage company versus a bank as far as like the kind of well, programs or options available. All we do is mortgages. Right. You know. So there, there's nothing really that they have to lean on heavily that's not housing right so right i think that's a good thing to explore our other podcasts it's in our it's in the real somewhere but i think that's what is the general tone is that if you haven't answered whatever your plan is on your time horizon whatever you're always going to feel behind and always going to reassure yourself that not doing anything is the safest bet because you think that things are going to drop because they did when we had a literal worldwide pandemic. It was not just like a, oh, something's happening in Ukraine. Like that's why this is happening here. I'm going to wait for housing. It's like literally the world went on hold right. and we did whatever we could to try and get it back going. And that's why the interest rates fell as low as they did. They won't just all of a sudden just like, right. let's just drop them. Like right. it doesn't exist. Well, and, and so really, you know, why would rates drop? You know, what are the set of circumstances that the Fed would go, okay, well, rates can drop? And, and you know, again, 40% of the monetary supply right. from the ether is now in existence, right? So that's going to take a long time to offset mm -hmm. that. Um, you've got, a, what is it, $3, billion, or sorry, $3 trillion in mortgage-backed securities that need to um, you know, fall. <laughs> I didn't want him to fall off the back of this year. He's, he's got good balance. Hell yeah. It's the first time we've acknowledged his existence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, no big thing. So, you know, you've got a huge, huge, huge balance sheet offload that needs to happen. There's just a lot that needs to happen in order for the Fed to get to that place, right? Right. But you've also got all of the supply chain destruction that we've done throughout every industry. Mm -hmm. All of that needs to be repaired, right? And it's going to take a lot of time. And so, you know, unless we find ourselves in a catastrophic recession where the Fed feels like, Okay, now we really need to take the foot off the gas and right. lower rates again. But that's, I mean, that's what happened in the '70s to some extent. Is mm -hmm. the, you know, you had high inflation in the early '70s. You had an oil embargo. The Fed went, okay, well, unemployment's getting ugly, so we're going to lower rates again. And that's when they got to 14, 15 percent inflation. Right. That ended up the '70s, and then 20 percent interest rates in order to kill that. Right. So, I, you know, you had a decade of inflation like this throughout the right. '70s and a decade of you know, relatively high rates throughout the 70s. So I, right. to think they're going back down to 3%, not happening. I wouldn't put my money on it. Right. You know, not in the next 18 months, two years. Well, years. and I think that's a good way to end it is that, you know, hedge funds aren't putting their money on the fact that, oh, we'll just wait for it to come down. Now, of course, they're, they're not borrowing. No, but they're, they're buying, right? And but I think, buying. you know, if they're right. buying, that's probably a pretty clear indication that something's happening here. And again, if they keep buying your likelihood of rent and being able to 
afford a house is just slowly dwindling. So you have to look internally, look at your time horizon and find out, am I... Am I buying now because I'm planning to stay here for a while or am I trying to buy now because I'm paying somebody else's rent and I'm scrambling? It's all these things that you really need to look inward and answer yourself in order right. to make happen. And if and to me if your time horizon is sufficient, it's n and you can afford it. Right. You should be buying a house. You should not be paying someone's rent. Right. Period. 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 If well, you're trying to flip a house next year. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. Not the best thing. I think DJ says that a lot. It's just not a flip market. Well, obviously, thank you again for coming on. We'll always love having you on. Um, follow Cross Country Mortgage. Uh, you can follow. You can find Wesley. You know, wherever he's he's always in the mountains or he's scuba diving. He's doing something. Not these days. Not it's, these. It's, <laughs> it's hard work these days, guys. It's, yeah. This market is. Yeah. We're working. We're working. But. Well, anyway, thank you, Wes. Uh, thank you, Cross Country Mortgage. Um, like, subscribe, follow us at DJ and Lindsay everywhere and. Real quick, back to the big short. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Audible. So if you're looking to read or just listen to the big short, we have a link in the description below of our uh, whatever the promo code is. It's on something for free or something for 15 bucks. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I never get it right. I love Audible. I actually did the, the audio book for the big short. Right. And it's one of those where the narrator is particularly excellent. There you really, go. Really, really funny. It's good. So check out the big short as well. Uh, and again, link in description for Audible. That way you can listen to it in the car and instead of uh, you know reading it yourself, like the, old, the olden days. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Later. See you, Coop. <laughs>